This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey all, welcome back to the Real Life Pharmacology Podcast. I'm your host, pharmacist Eric Christensen, and I thank you so much for listening today. Hopefully you pick up a few uh, clinical pearls along the way. And of course, speaking of clinical pearls, go check out uh, reallifepharmacology.com and uh, subscribe there and I'll give you a a 30 plus page PDF on the top 200 drugs, kind of a unique uh, little study guide uh, that I personally put together uh, where I lay out important clinical pearls uh, that you're going to see in clinical practice uh, as well as things that commonly come up on Uh, board exams and things of that nature as well. So uh, if you've got anything to do with with pharmacology, well, you're likely here for a reason. Uh, So let's uh, get into it with the drug of the day today, and that is going to be teotropium. And the brand name of this medication is Spireva. Uh, Its primary use is in uh, respiratory disorders, Uh, more specifically uh, COPD. It's considered a long-acting anticholinergic medication, um, also referred to as a long-acting muscarinic uh, antagonist. Sometimes you'll hear the uh, term LAMA used uh, as an acronym to kind of describe its classification. And this drug works by uh, essentially blocking acetylcholine's action Um, at muscarinic receptors, specifically uh, M3 receptors or muscarinic 3 receptors. And when acetylcholine binds uh, those M3 receptors, what it leads to is uh, bronchoconstriction. So basically that airway closing up. And so if we prevent acetylcholine from binding those uh, M3 receptors... Uh, we can help cause the opposite, which is um, bronchodilation or that relaxation uh, of the uh, airway there, which obviously allows for uh, better breathing. Okay, so I said primary use is COPD. Uh, It can be used for asthma. It's typically a further down the line uh, type of, of medication in patients that aren't controlled by, you know, typically are inhaled Um, corticosteroids and things like that. Uh, But I think it is important to remind patients um, regardless of of the indication and uh, remind them that this medication is not meant for acute relief of symptoms. So it's not meant to be, you know, an albuterol or a quick acting um, beta agonist that opens up that airway um, in an emergent uh, type situation. Uh, administration. So this is something uh, I've seen be an issue in clinical practice. Uh, first, before I, I talk about that administration, I, I want to mention that there's two different Spireva formulations. So there's a hand inhaler and there's a Respimat. 
So the Respimat is a mist type inhaler where you press a button and and uh, you get that uh, delivery um, of that mist and, and the patient's supposed to inhale that obviously. The hand inhaler I think is a little bit more tricky and I have definitely seen more issues with it. So it is a dry powder that's actually in a capsule. And what you do with that capsule is you put it in the handy inhaler device and the handy inhaler basically uh, punctures it and allows that dry powder to be inhaled out of that capsule. So now obviously if you can put yourself in the shoes of a patient um, looking at this device and seeing capsules and, and you know you could understand how there might be a little bit of confusion as to to uh, how that's done and particularly with the capsules um, you could definitely understand how a patient who's taken a lot of oral medications in the past might think oh well I just swallow the capsule okay and and I have seen and, and heard of this as well from other pharmacists uh, who've worked with patients so really really important uh, to take the time go through use of these devices and make sure the patient is uh, has a good understanding of, of how to use it. Um, one other uh, quick story, we had, I had a patient that uh, severe, severe uh, lung disorder, um, very difficult time uh, breathing, that type of thing, many exacerbations, things like that. And um, they obviously weren't responding to their medication well, it turned out he had Spireva. Handy inhaler is one of his medications. And he was actually trying to uh, open up the caps. He knew he had to use the handy inhaler device, but he was trying to open up the capsule and dump the powder uh, into the device. So, um, again, just I want to emphasize that point. Be sure you take the time when you've got these uh, unique devices and uh, go through it, make sure the patient knows uh, what they're doing. Uh, as far as dosing goes, uh, both of these um, uh, devices are once daily dosing, uh, so that is a, a potential advantage compared to you know twice day, daily dosing or, or multiple daily dosing that uh, some other agents uh, do have there. Now, adverse effect profile. Uh, so this is one that, that I did a little research on as I was, um, you know, reviewing and, and preparing for this podcast. Um, I wanted to know the percent uh, absorbed systemically of teatropium because you see all these adverse effects potentially listed and it's like, well, how, you know, how common is it? And um, in clinical practice, the, the most commonly reported adverse effect that I hear patients uh, report to me is dry mouth. Okay, so that is one that is, is going to happen. Hopefully, it's just a nuisance uh, to patients. And, you know, we can say, hey, you know, have have a little water or, you know, whatever the case may be uh, that helps their, their dry mouth. Um, hopefully, that's, that's just a, a short-lived thing uh, for them and, and not too concerning. Now, some of those other anticholinergic effects, we're going to need systemic absorption. So you think of, you know, urinary retention, uh, dry eyes, um, confusion, things of, of those uh, that type of nature, constipation. Um, we're going to need systemic absorption and um, delivery uh, via the, the bloodstream. 
and the percent absorbed uh, is 19 reported is 19.5 percent bioavailable so there is some systemic absorption with teotropium now i wouldn't call that incredibly significant and in most patients who are reporting systemic anticholinergic effects like i went through before um, i'm going to look at their medication list and and in most situations there's probably going to be other anticholinergic medications on their list whether it's you know an older antihistamine or a urinary anticholinergic, such as, you know, oxybutynin or tolteridine, um, those patients are likely, uh, that are experiencing systemic anticholinergic effects, probably aren't going to be experiencing it from teotropium alone, okay? Not to say that it can't happen, uh, but in general, I would say the likelihood is, is pretty low uh, in general. I also wanted to mention elderly may be a little bit more um, prone to have that systemic accumulation, um, and particularly those with uh, renal impairment, because a significant amount, if it is absorbed systemically, um, does get eliminated out through the urine. So in patients that have that uh, worsening kidney function, which is many elderly patients, uh, we could experience a little bit more uh, accumulation and maybe a little bit higher uh, chance that we run into those uh, systemic anticholinergic effects. All right, so let's take a quick break from our sponsor, and I will wrap up with drug interactions. If you're in the market for pharmacist board certification study material, like pharmacotherapy, geriatrics, medication therapy management, ambulatory care, or the NAPLEX, definitely go check out meded101.com slash store, S-T-O-R-E. In addition, if you're a nurse, med student, PA, nurse practitioner, uh, go check out meded101.com slash store. We've got links to uh, Amazon books, Audible books, uh, clinical practice pearls, things of that nature as well. So um, go check out all the links there. Uh, support the sponsor, meded101.com, and help keep this uh, podcast free and educational uh, for all to enjoy. All right, so let's finish up on drug interactions. So when I see teotropium, I, I don't think about drug interactions strongly. Um, the most uh, common interactions are going to relate to anticholinergic burden. So again, I, I alluded to that before, you know, your older antihistamines, your uh, diphenhydramine, your hydroxazine, your uh, tricyclic antidepressants, like nortriptyline or amitriptyline, these can all have uh, kind of cumulative anticholinergic effects. Uh, another potential adverse uh, effect, um, or excuse me, drug interaction adding on um, to that anticholinergic effect of teotropium, uh, potentially with that minimal systemic absorption, you could have uh, some impact and impairment on um, blunting the effects of acetylcholinesterase inhibitors that are used for dementia, such as um, denepazil, for example. And then one last situation, again, having to do with the anticholinergic effects. If we're using um, promotility type agents, 
such as a metoclopramide uh, for um, slow GI motility, gastroparesis. Uh, there is potential that teotropium could oppose uh, that potential benefit and slow down the, the GI tract. So I think that gives you some sense of you know drug interactions, and I would say overall, I don't consider it um, very high on the totem pole of, of causing uh, drug interactions because we've got fairly low uh, systemic absorption uh, in general that we need to, to worry about there. So I think that's going to wrap up the podcast for today. Definitely go to reallifepharmacology.com. Uh, take advantage of that uh, free PDF. We also send out updates as to when we've got uh, new podcasts and, and content available there. Uh, leave us a rating review on iTunes. Greatly appreciative uh, to those of you who have already done that. And of course, share us with a friend, colleague, classmate, student, uh, preceptor, and uh, help us grow uh, the audience so we can educate more and more folks about pharmacology. Uh, if you want to reach out to me, uh, you can find me, Eric Christensen, PharmD, BCPS, BCGP. Uh, LinkedIn is probably the uh, best way uh, to, to track me down. Uh, also, my email, mededucation101 at gmail.com. If you have uh, suggestions or comments or questions about things, um, I do my best uh, to respond uh, to all the emails I get. Uh, if you're asking a detailed question about something or a case, um, that's a little bit more challenging for me to, to keep up on that. And I do do apologize for that, but um, to keep the, the podcast going and uh, not drive myself crazy, um, I do uh, uh, typically don't uh, provide recommendations on, on individual cases. But um, I appreciate those of you who have uh, tried uh, to ask about certain situations. So... Um, with that said, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, take care, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.